your goal is to create happy customers who then create other happy customers. So congratulations! Here's what I've learned. The best of the best have got the problem. We're selling, going, going, gone! So congratulations! Let's have a look at the facts. Watch your goal for the next six months. So my plan and my intention is to share with you something that might feel a little bit weird me saying it to you particularly when many of you see me as being someone that spends a lot of time maybe talking about a motivation theme but gang I've just got to say to you that motivation and willpower can be really overrated I'm going to tell you environment design and habits can be really underrated and I want you to understand if motivation and willpower was the answer I think you would actually have less, you know, desire to be going to training courses because you would have found a way, right? But the truth is it's damn hard. And I think when I seriously look at people that are very successful and I look at people that are average, I can't honestly say that the successful ones are that much disciplined than others. They are disciplined, but not much more like um, born that way. I think what they've done is they've learned, you know, three things that I'm going to talk about today and those three things are that they've learned how to create an environment which has been designed by them to ensure that they are doing successful actions. We're going to talk about that. In addition to that, they're very good at understanding that um, cues, there are certain cues that affect your, your behavior and we're going to talk about that. In addition to that, I'm also going to talk to you about a very important habit in science and that is what I call uh, habit stacking. Habit stacking is I'm talking about how you actually have one habit stack on top of another and it's a cue. But I won't confuse you until I actually move into it. So, And I'm also going to tell you on how I handle sledges at an auction. Because for someone that's been auctioning for decades now, you can imagine, you know, there are certain Saturdays I'm doing 13, other Saturdays I'm only doing six, but throughout a year you are going to meet sledges and um, I'm going to tell you what my strategy for sledges are. Well, I'll tell you now, I'll start off and say to you, strategy number one is I do my best to just ignore them and they actually, a lot of the times, they say something two times, I don't respond and uh, they think to themselves, this guy really doesn't give a fuck about what I'm saying, right? And they just give up. So that's one of the strategies. Um, a second strategy in what I do is I expose, I expose it for what it is. I expose it for what it is. So in New South Wales, we're fortunate enough to know that if someone is actually um, um, bidding, they've got to be registered. So the first thing I'll say is, if someone starts with a sledge, I'll say, sir, can I ask you, what is your registration number? And a lot of the times, sledges are not registered. They're actually paid by someone else. So what actually happens then is they're, they're not registered and I'd say, so sir, what you're saying to me is that you have no intentions at all today to bid. So would it be fair to say that uh, you asking this question here is going to make no impact on you as a purchaser because you can't buy it, you'd be breaking the law because you're not registered. But in addition to that, may I suggest 
that maybe what you're doing is something you didn't do in the three or four weeks prior to the auction because you've decided that what you'd like to do is to put some doubt into people's heads today at the auction. And what I'd suggest is if you have a query with that issue that you're bringing up, that you refrain from bidding. So that is one of the things that I do. I expose them. And a lot of the times, a lot of the times what I'll do is I'll actually turn around and I'll actually say, um, hey, I recommend you don't bid. You're concerned? I recommend you don't bid. And I have to tell you, there I cannot think of one time in the last 20 years where a person tried to intimidate, tried to heckle, tried to sledge that affected the result. But I have to say to you, I think a lot of it's got to do with the fact that I am very assertive at auctions. And people know, and they're used to me, particularly the inner west, that this guy is not going to tolerate shit. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of the times you train people on how to act, your energy introduces you. I think the only real time you can get really caught out hiring a shit auctioneer is when they get a sledger and the sledger is better than the auctioneer. Because you could have spent four or five weeks on an incredible marketing campaign, done incredible videos, you know, have done all this time and work and the vendors have kept the property well. And because you decided you were going to go get a hack from one of these, you know, auction companies that just give them a bit of overflow work or, you know, you decided that you do the cheap option and pay someone three or four hundred bucks. I'm going to say to you, that is the time when you can sabotage a whole auction. But, uh, by the way, I got heckled once at a conference. At a conference, I was being heckled. And um, I just said to the guy, hey, listen, I'm shocked. I am absolutely shocked how you beat 10 million other sperm. Amazing. And that shut him up. So, let's move on to the topic. And I'm going to say to you, there's some really interesting research on success and habits. And the first research I'm going to show and talk to you about is an experiment that was done with 250 people to try and get them to do exercise. 250 people to try and do exercise. And they got three control groups, three control groups. Those three control groups were the first group, the first group, we're told all you've got to do is measure how much exercise you do. That's all you've got to do. Hi to everyone that's saying hi. How are you going? Hey, Robbie. So the first group was just measure your exercise. Hey, Shane, how are you going? I'm in your town. I'll be seeing you tomorrow. Tomorrow we've got Perth Real Estate Gym. We've got uh, Shane Beaumont and we've got uh, Daniel Gonzalez. So guys and girls, the first group were told all you've got to do is record what exercise you're doing. The second group was a control group. And what they said to them is, we want you to record what exercise you're doing. But in addition to that, we're going to give you some reasons why you should be exercising. And it was a bit of a motivation session. You need to exercise because it's going to be good for your cardiovascular heart uh, health. It's going to help you lose weight. So there was a bit of education towards it. And they also said to them, we suggest you read these articles and they'll also support reason why you should exercise. And then the third group, the third group, the third group was interesting because they were told, they were told that what they had to do was the following. They had to actually measure their exercise, okay, measure their exercise, sorry gang, 
measure their exercise. In addition to that, what they had to do is actually watch a motivation video, same as the first group. And then in addition to that, they were told that they needed to have an implementation intention. An implementation intention. And that was simply, they would actually say, I will exercise for 30 minutes on Wednesdays at Anytime Fitness. So they would say where, when, and what. They had a clear statement on what they would be doing. So what's the research show? The research shows that those three groups, group one and group two, had about a success rate of 35%. There was not much difference between the group that was told to measure their exercise and the group that was told to measure their exercise and to actually um, watch a video on motivation and why they should do it. The third group, the third group, which was they did all of that, but in addition to that, they wrote an implementation commitment. They had a 90% success rate versus a 35% success rate with the other two groups. This is incredible research that says that whenever you set a habit, that if you actually write down what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and where you're going to do it, that the probability and the likelihood more than doubles. This is fantastic research to support any doubt you've got in your head on why you need to be actually writing stuff down. But the real secret was the two cues. Now, listen to me very carefully. The two cues that accelerated the probability of it happening was, get ready for it, time and location. What, when you were going to do it and where you were going to do it. So guys and girls, keep this research in the back of your head. I want to touch, now I want to talk to you about, um, so by the way, let's just talk about that again very quickly. We talk about time, oops, sorry. Oh, this fucking... There we go. Time and location. Time and location. I want to move on to habit stacking. Habit stacking is an interesting one because what the research... By the way, most of this research is coming from a book that I read um, on the plane here, and that is from James Clear, and it's called Atomic Habits. He is, in fact, speaking at Eric, and I will be doing a webinar with him prior to the event. But what we clearly know is that habit stacking is when you pair one habit with another. For instance, you turn around and you have a cue as another habit. For instance, let's turn around and say um, exercise in the morning. Let's assume you want to do the 5am club. You turn around and say, here's how it works. I will stack one habit over the other. 5am club, that's the alarm. The next habit is I have coffee. The next habit after coffee, I have exercise. So what's actually happening is you've got these cues that you actually create this environment. So I would suggest that what you start looking at is, you know, bringing in habits where you actually say this event happens right after this event. So this is what we mean. This is what we mean by actually um, stacking habits. 
and it actually came from some research from a guy called Didier. Now, or Didio, the Didio effect, it's called the Didio effect, and without going into all the detail, what it was, was they studied many, many years ago that if someone goes and buys one thing, that they then go off and spend money to buy another thing, because it's a cue that they've bought this item, right? Like it could be you go off and buy furniture for your um, unit. And then what actually happens is, in addition to buying furniture, you then go back the following week because you want the walls to look as nice as the furniture that you've bought and you go and invest in some artwork, right? Or you could turn around and say the same would be, you know, when you'd go shopping for clothes, that you buy some certain clothes and then you realise, hey, I need to actually buy more clothes to match it with this beautiful suit. That is what habit stacking is. And what we clearly know is that one habit can act as a cue for another habit. Um, Example, praying. You turn around and say, as soon as I sit down to have dinner, before I put the first bit of food in my mouth, I pray. That is an example of habit stacking. But without a doubt, probably the thing that I want to, you know, Susan's actually got the right word spelling there, the Didiac effect. You can look up that research. By the way, if you're enjoying this rant, please press that share button. You know, they always ask you at least once. Now, let me just talk to you about the third thing, and that is environment design. This is where I think there's some really low-hanging fruit that you can have a total transformation on any habit that you've ever had that's been um, difficult for you to adopt, is to see, hey, am I making it easy for me to actually do that habit? And environmental design is as simple as, you know, you turning around and saying, hey, if I don't want to be eating chocolate, right? I simply don't have chocolate in my fridge. That's an extreme example of what I mean by that. Um, Environmental design, whether you like it or not, you are being affected by cues all the time. I can tell you in fast-moving consumer goods at a Coles supermarket or at Woolworths supermarket, you'll you'll have items that are more expensive sitting at eye level and cheaper items sitting at Um, ground level and the reason why is at eye level they're they're their most profitable items and I can tell you organizations that have their products stored at supermarkets pay more money for shelving at eye level so what we're sort of saying is the more something is visible the more you're inclined to act on it or even buy that right so environmental design explains why in 1971 there was a study done in uh, Vietnam of the US Army and what they studied was that incredible amount of Americans got addicted to heroin in Vietnam while they were serving for their country and this became a real problem this became a really 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 big problem you know and I've got to say to you that what happened is that they studied all these people they studied all these people that um, Uh, were addicted to heroin, but they found something remarkable. And that was when these people went back to their homes in America, to their families, if they were married, to their parents, if they were living with their parents, that only 10% of those people stayed addicted to heroin. And this is far lower than what the average person has in terms of giving up heroin and going back. And what they studied is this, when you're in the war, and you've got heroin available to you, and you've got time, and you've got other colleagues, and it's a stressful environment, you are more inclined to be shooting up on heroin and to become a heroin addict. 
But when you went back home to your own environment where normality set in, you had a job that you went to in the day, you didn't have heroin sitting around in your house and you had your, your significant other or your you know, parents living in the property, it was different to the environment you were in Vietnam. So what this says is that the environment that you operate in has a very, very big contributor to the actions that you take. So I would suggest that, you know, for instance, what could I say? What could I say to you that could help you in, in prospecting? Really simple. In prospecting, I would suggest that what you do is you create an environment where you don't have interruptions, where you don't have your computer turned on because that's an environment to have distractions, where potentially you decide that you actually do two hours of prospecting, maybe even at home, where you don't have people interrupting you and you can be focused and on track. Uh, when Let's talk about, you know, weight loss. Hey, weight loss, what about this for weight loss? What if you turned around and made it so easy for yourself to eat the right meals because you actually have the meals? They were pre-ordered, they were delivered from one of these health nutrition companies and they were ready for you. So when you were hungry, you made better choices because you'd actually created a plan before that. Guys and girls, I hope that you understand that a lot of the information we're talking about is that you either become a victim of your environment or you become the architect of your environment. And um, I'm going to urge you to actually uh, um, read up more on The Power of Habit, read up more on James Clear's book called Atomic Habits, and start using the app that I use called Streaks. Any habit you want, if you use Streaks, it acts as a really, really good accountability tool. Um, you get it on your iPhone or Samsung phone or what have you, and every time you do something, it sort of press it's been done, and it's there to create a 21-day habit, and it's there reminding you all the time. And by the way, all I've got to say to you is an iPhone or a Fitbit is simply a measuring device as part of your environment because when you're looking at the activity on your mobile phone, you know, like how much steps you've done, uh, the, the app is called uh, Streaks, Tina. So when you're looking at, you know, how much you were standing, uh, how, much, how many steps you did, um, you know, how many calories you got, you burnt, all those. Why? Because what you measure, you manage. Whatever you keep your eye on, you actually manage it. So guys and girls, thank you so much. Really looking forward to seeing you next Sunday. Real Estate Gym members, hang out and look out for all the content that's coming through. I'm going to go sit down now, chill out. It's uh, Sydney, 9 o'clock time, but I'm here in Perth and it's 6 o'clock. Got big, uh, big week ahead. Guys, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in, guys and girls. You can join me on Facebook for the live Sunday night rant every week at 8.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And if you're in real estate, just Google Tom Panos and you'll find a heap of resources and interviews where million-dollar agents share their strategies. See you next week. Let's have a look at the facts. What's your goal for the next-